Hello, amazing parents and caretakers, and welcome to the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast. I'm your family empowerment coach, Celia Kibler. I'm a mom of a blended family of five kids. I'm a grandma of nine kids, an author, a teacher, a speaker, and a consultant with over 40 years of training and real-life parenting experience. I'm here to offer you practical, doable tips, strategies, and techniques that will pump up your parenting skills and create peace, love, and laughter throughout your family. In addition, I'll be interviewing some great humans that are on a mission to make your life a better, happier, and healthier life. So let's not waste any time and get started with the next episode of the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast. I'm Celia Kibler, your family empowerment coach, and I have a wonderful guest here today that's joining me to talk all about life in a blended family. I know a lot of you know that I have uh, been a parent of a blended family for 24 years. And I have two kids that are my own and three kids that are my husband's all in their 30s. And uh, I have, I'm a grandma of nine. So I've been busy in a blended family myself. But I bring to our podcast, Tracy Poisner. I said that. I said that right. Okay. Sorry. All of a sudden, guys, I thought I said her name wrong and you know, I don't want to do that. Okay. So Tracy is a life coach for parents in blended families. And she is a mommy, stepmommy herself. And we're going to talk about, you know, the dynamic of blended families, how we make life better for the children and better for the parents. So um, her company is called EssentialStepmom.com is where you can find her. And I want to welcome you to the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast, Tracy. Thank you so much for having me. This is lovely. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you. And I love to talk about this because it's, it can be a joy and a struggle and absolutely a challenge. Here you are taking, you know, your own family and you're mixing it up with some new family. And I feel eternally blessed that I have my three wonderful stepsons and out of my stepsons and my daughter and my, well, my son has cats, but um, I have gained these nine wonderful grandchildren who I love with all my heart and soul. And it's, it's wonderful. It is wonderful. And I am like I say, so blessed to have been able to create this incredible family that we all love and live in today. I'm so, looking forward to having some of those. Oh man, I'm telling you, Tracy. It's Can't like wait. The bomb. <laughs> it is the best. Every time I say the bomb, my kids tell me, Mom, yeah. you're like yeah. when dinosaurs run the earth. Like that. So um, but grandkids are great, you know. I, I adore my children. It's really awesome to have grandkids. I take care of my daughter's kids once a week. I sleep oh, love in her, her house and I spend the day with her kids. And oh, it's, it's just wonderful, 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 wonderful. So um, so let me ask you while we're on the topic of family, can you tell us a little bit about what got you started into becoming the life coach that you are today? And a little bit about your family dynamic 
because you are also like me, a stepmommy. Okay, well, I'll start the other way around. I'll tell you about okay. my family. Um, I, uh, I have one daughter and I got divorced when she was about 11. And then I was a single mom for about six years. And then I got together uh, with a man who has three kids. So I have three stepkids there now. Uh, we're, we're 14 years into this step family project. So um, his kids are now uh, 20 to 25. Uh, actually, very nearly 21 to 26, I guess. Their birthdays are coming up. Um, and how did I get started? Well, about, I think about 10 years along when the last of my husband's kids came to live with us full time, it felt like a long period of difficult going had been completed, you know, and I, I woke up one day and I said to my husband, I think this is the light at the end of the tunnel. This is it. We are standing in the light at the end of the tunnel. And I, I felt so um, grateful that I had, you know, at that time, almost 20 years of experience in alternative healthcare because that's been my profession for a long time. So I had spent years studying the stages of childhood development and human psychology and family dynamics. That was all, all of those things are part of my practice. They're how I work. I'd been, I had been specializing in my practice in helping children with behavior problems. And so I was working with families already. And I just thought I leaned so heavily on, on all of the things that I knew that I had been studying, that I'd learned. I used so much of that information in my own situation. And I thought, what do people do who don't have this, all these books and all of this stuff at their fingertips? Where do they even start? And I just felt like I, I really had learned things that I could codify and turn into something useful for other women that I really, you know, looked around me and realized that, that there are not thousands, but millions of step families even in North America. Yeah. In fact, supposedly there are something like 12 or 1300 new step families forming every day just in, in the US. So uh, it's a gigantic demographic and I felt like there's very, very little conversation about it. There's little, little help available. There's a kind of a patchwork of things. But um, as I got as I got examining the, the social media world, anyway, I was really disappointed what I saw with what I saw there being offered. The, the social media world is very harsh and very unsupportive. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to create a different kind of place. So I did. I made a Facebook group that was, uh, I like to say, a 100% positive space where, you know, we, we treat each other the way we want other people to treat us. Exactly. I think if we, you know, if we want, if we want society to respect and treat stepmoms better, we need to treat each other better, right? Inside our own groups. You know, it starts with us. So I'm very, I guard that very carefully, that culture in my group. I I think it's wonderful because 
you know, I think um, so many women as stepmoms get thrown into this family of these extra children. And because you're the mom, you're used to mothering. Yeah. And then you're like, well, I'm going to automatically mother these other kids who are already yeah. being mothered by a mother, possibly. And, and <laughs> you know, and then the father, what, where's his role? And, you know, and it gets very confusing. It sure does. And it's very difficult to think, well, I can only mother these two and I can't mother these three. And, and how will I be able to run a household like that? And yeah there's a lot going on and, it really is. um, you know, I always tell my parents, you really, before you get into this whole scenario of blending these families is you really have to talk about being on the same page about certain things. Yeah. I know for my husband and I, we talked about it and we decided because I'm the stronger parent figure that I would just mother them all. And it worked out great for us. And I did. And we had a long talk with the kids when they came. One of them lived with us from eighth grade on to 22. One lived with us from eighth grade to ninth grade, basically just for a year. And his third son, you know, stayed at it with his mom and came on weekends, like, you know, everything. And then my kids live with me, live with us. But, you know, we had agreed that way that, you know, in this house, I was the mother and pretty much, you know, the, the one who kind of ran the household, but that doesn't work out for everybody. And, you know, kids can get very defensive. Mm -hmm. You're not my mother. You're not my parents. You're not my dad. You're not, you know, yeah. what are you telling me what to do. I mean, mm -hmm. all of that shows its face a lot. Of course. So anyway, what, what about your house? It's, how was it? Well, we had the, extremely unique experience. I, I kind of joke about this, but it really is funny. I, I say that we were the serial parents of an only child four times in a row because we had my daughter and then she was gone to university by the time the next one came. And he, I had a similar experience to you. He stayed for about six months and then went back to his mom. And a year later, the, the younger brother came and he stayed the whole time. So he came in eighth grade and stayed you know, he's still essentially with us, but he's away at university now. And the minute he left for university, his sister showed up and she's been here ever since. So that's been a really, um, I mean, it's just funny how it worked out, but that's, I did not have to, you know, blend children under the same roof at the same time. And so that's a, that's a piece of the puzzle that I don't have any personal experience with, but I've talked to dozens and dozens and dozens of women um, to learn what works and what doesn't work in their households and to try to apply, you know, it, the same, it's the same. We need extra tools uh, for sure when you have kids from, from two homes, but um, most people, most people find that uh, an agreement to each parent, your own child, is what works out the best. And you have an experience of that working different for you. And that has to do with your personality and the personality of your kids and how your husband is involved and, and all of that. But, um, uh, yeah, but I, I, I agree with you completely that it's, um, 
you know, the, the maternal piece, the maternal instinct piece, even for women who don't have kids of their own, is I think often what gets us in trouble. I think it's, um, it's hard to believe that you could do a role that has the word mother in it, <laughs> where you want to shut off your maternal instinct. It's like, a, have you ever heard of death by GPS? There's, yeah. there's a thing, apparently, you know, people drive into the desert, right? <laughs> and they, they, yeah. you know, the rangers find them at the end of a dirt road, were having run out of gas, and they were, you know, the GPS told them to go there. Right. And they went. And they went. And, you know, you lose you you have so much faith in it because it seems so sensible and it's like it's a tool that should never let you down theoretically but it does and I think that some women are trying so hard to follow their maternal instinct and do what feels motherly to them and it's the hundred percent wrong direction you're just you know you're on um, running on all cylinders in the wrong direction yeah. It's it's hard to accept, but that's the reality. It is. And the kids, you know, the the reality, I mean, well, for us, luckily, our children met, they were very young. Um, the youngest was five, the oldest was older. How old was she? <laughs> I don't know, she was older, seven years older, maybe. <laughs> and they all went up in age. Um you know, like I had told you earlier, I could have birthed mm -hmm. all of them. And gratefully, I mean, from the moment these five kids met, they loved each other. They oh, that's so lucky. Day. And we are super lucky because oh. honestly, if that wasn't the case, I don't know as we would have gotten married. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't have wanted to put my children through that. I wouldn't have wanted to put me through that, you yeah. know. And we were very fortunate, very fortunate. And um, they just got along great. Um, I mean, that, you know, of course, there were times when, you know, kids are kids and, you know, they have their sibling yeah. fights and things like that. And the boys didn't live with us all the time. Um, but it's, you know, there was still, there was a lot of family discussions going on of, you know, when we had things that needed to be done or talked about or discussed or ways things were going to operate. And um, we, uh, you know, the sex talks for the boys, mm -hmm. that was done by my husband. Sex talk for the girl, girl, only one, was done by me. And, you know, and for my son, I was, I gave that job to my ex-husband and you know, and then the big thing is you have all these parents with all these parenting beliefs yeah. coming on to these children. Yeah. So, you know, my husband's ex, she was like a free range parent, you know, basically, you know, her kids were allowed to do anything. There was no, there was no limits, no boundaries. Yeah. No, yeah. they could roam the streets, even at seven years old. Mm -hmm. And that, that was the opposite of my house, you know? So there's a lot yeah. that kids, I remember every weekend, I, I, I am um, a big believer of using your manners and speaking respectfully. And even when you're having the most fun in the world and, you know, so they would come to my house and by the end of the weekend, they would be using their manners. Everybody be talking great to each other, happy, having fun. They'd leave, they'd go to their moms, they'd come back on Friday and we'd start all over again. Yeah. So, and that yeah. was our life. Wow. But, um, 
that that's another hard thing is all these parenting views. Absolutely. That they have to deal with. Well, it's, it's very hard that for the kids that the rules are so different from one house to the other, which they typically are because let's face it in most um, divorce situations, um, people start to polarize as they're, you know, as they're disagreeing or as they're separating. So like whatever dad thinks is a good idea, mom is going to push the limit to do something, something different to prove that dad is wrong or to irritate him or to assert her own right to do what she thinks, but they start to polarize and do things more and more and more um, drastically different from each other. So that's super hard on the kids. And then it's hard even within the household where you and your husband, your partner, um, have a different way of parenting the kids. And uh, the thing that I see most often in my clients and the, the families that I serve in my group is that, uh, that the dad, who is the one who experienced and participated in the breakup of a family is um, feeling um, the influence of his own sort of guilty feelings about having brought his kids into this you know, difficult situation where they have to be in two homes and, and, you know, they all have, you know, like guilty dad syndrome or Disney dad, they call it, you know, Disney being a Disney dad, where you just want to have the, be the fun parent and not do the heavy lifting and the hard part of setting limits and boundaries and consequences. I, that is like so reasonable. It's, it's really normal. And but it can be so irritating to the woman who lives with him because she has to watch him not do what looks like normal parenting and saying no and giving out punishments and, and following through, especially with what you said is going to happen. And then when it comes time to sort of bring down the gavel, they say, oh, well, you know, maybe it doesn't really matter. Or we don't want to spend our, all of our time with my child, with the kid in the timeout whatever it might be. So that creates a lot of conflict. And I think that what I'm working towards now with my program for, for dads is to bring dads into more of a feeling of leadership than of, of authority, you know, to just remind them and to, to help them to stand in their place of leadership, to be thinking always of what it is actually that, that your parenting is supposed to achieve. What do you want your kids to take away from their time with you? What is it that you want to, you know, what kind of people do you want them to be? What lessons do you want them to learn? And not like the minute by minute, um, like you didn't eat your dinner, you don't get dessert, or you didn't clean up your room, you don't get the whatever. Um, I think it's a, to take a much bigger, a bigger picture view and to be looking at ways to show your integrity to your children right. and not at ways to like trying to push away the job that you have to do because it feels distasteful. That's really because you just don't know another way than maybe the way that you were raised or you, you know, you feel averse to um, 
being authoritarian because that doesn't feel right. And so then you just don't do it at all. Uh, sometimes it's, it's really hard, as you said, because the, in the other household, there are no rules. And then you feel like you have to make them, but you don't really feel like doing it. Right. Um, and then so, the bad guy. That's it. You know, well, also a big scenario thing too is like, who's the bad guy? Who's the good guy? Who's right? the better parent? Who, who we don't want to be with you because this parent gives into everything. You yeah. know, we do. Well, in a lot of homes, a lot of um, first families, nuclear traditional families, the parents divide a little bit uh, in a natural way. The sort of good cop, bad cop role, right? And that will have to do with the the natural disposition of each parent. And there will be one who's more likely to, to feel good about holding boundaries and saying no and being the you know, bad cop for lack of a better word. And often it's the mom. It is often the mom who does that. So then when that family separates, now you have dad in another household who is not suited by his own nature for that role but he has to take it on and it's not easy. Right. And now he may be together with another woman who would do it, but now it's not okay that she does it. He can't give it away to her because right. that's not, not the way, children. that's not the way it works. They're not her right. kids. And uh, you know, it's not because of, it's not a set of manners we're talking about here. It's that it has to be received by the children. The purpose of discipline is for training and teaching and growing the kids. Exactly. And if they won't, if they're not wired to accept that kind of um, discipline and training from someone who's not a biological parent, you can do it till you're blue in the face. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It just creates conflict. And the, the divorce statistics are appalling. I mean, yeah. the, uh, divorces in first marriages, about 40 to 50%. Divorces second for marriage. second marriages, 60 to 70%. Right. Divorces in third marriages, 70 to 80 percent so like there are staggering odds against this working out you and i have been lucky because right. we have tools like i just said you I, and i both I, have have tools that we could rely on a lot and of, uh, a lot of people don't thing, that guilt thing is you know is can be devastating to children you know <laughs> that the fact that parents parent from guilt yeah you know, it, I, you know, I always, my, my tagline is because we're raising adults, not children. Yeah. And when you parent from guilt, what kind of adult will that child right. become? Right. But so you, you can't, uh, I think, I mean, that's why I'm, I'm preparing a, you know, a six month program on this, because I think we can't just say, don't do that. You don't, you, you can't help it. You are stuck right. in that cycle and you need to unlearn the, the patterns that are causing you to butt up against this guilt problem all the time. You have to know, open another door and see a way to a different kind of parenting that, um, that can function really well, even with guilt in the picture, so that right. the guilt is not impeding you from, from being the kind of parent that your kids need. And I think a lot of it too is understanding, you know, when you touched on this before, what is happening to the child when that's, when they're being, you know, they're being given everything they want because 
we feel so guilty that they're now in this broken marriage, so to speak, this yeah. broken family, yeah. and then they're given in and then they grow up and they don't know what to do with disappointment because they never had disappointment. That's right. And they never learned to deal with disappointment. And honestly, you know, here it is life yeah. where yeah. things don't always go your way. You know, the other thing that we had in our household is that my husband's older brother is a child psychologist. He's a school, not a school psychologist. They In Quebec, where he lives, they have a, a field of study called psychoeducation, which is um, a very special thing that really only seems to exist in the French culture. I think maybe they have it in France too, but it's, um, anyway, just to say that he is someone who's teaching this in university to other people who are becoming psychoeducators. And so he was a source of a lot of really, uh, you know, sage advice. And I remember him saying to my husband at one point that the, the principal job of a parent is to teach a child to cope with frustration, to manage their own frustration. That is, that is our job. And if we're always erasing the frustration, um, we're not, you're not doing your job as a parent. And so to look at it in a different way, and you know, there's a quote that I love from an author, I don't know if you've read this book, The Rules of Parenting by Richard Templar. No, I actually haven't. Um, I just, I don't know where I stumbled on it. He's a British author and I just loved it. It was really well written, but he says, I hope I'm quoting him properly, but he says that um, children push on boundaries, not to try to move them, like not to try to change them, but to see that they haven't changed. Exactly. They, you know, it's the, it is so essential for a child's security in the world to know where the boundaries are. And that's why they keep pushing and pushing, like, show me where the walls are. Right. I'm not going to stop until someone says no. And they need to know that I can rage and rail and show all of my dark side and that my dad is strong enough to contain me because if he's not, how can I go out in the world? Who, who can I be? Like, I'm afraid of my own power if my dad is not able to be the alpha right. and contain me in some way. And so it's, and it, it's really a part of providing the essential security essential. that a child needs in the world to, to hear no and to be upset and to rail around and to have dad stand there and say, you know, it's like a puppy, like, a puppy wants to pull on one end of the cord and it's the game is no fun. If there's nobody holding on at the other end, right. I don't I, want to I, just take the rope and run away with it. That's not the game. The game is to pull. Exactly. And, and test things and test the parent's strength and test their limits and grow yeah. and yeah. become more independent. And, you know, when, you know, I told you that my stepchildren were like free range children and when you ask them, why didn't you come home at 11 o'clock, their response would be because no one cares. And mm. the literal truth of that is no one cares. Yeah. Yeah. And when yeah. a child does not have limits and boundaries, yeah. they grow up believing that no one cares about them. Yeah, it's really true. These show them that you care, that you love them and yeah. that you want them. Yeah 
to be safe, secure, and confident and loved. There's quite a well-known study that you might be aware of that was, I think, commissioned by the YMCA about 20 years ago. It's not something new, but they they asked teenagers uh, anonymously questions about their life. And the surprising thing that came up was that the number one thing that teenagers wanted more of was more connection with their parents. Right. They did not want more autonomy. They did not want more car keys or you know, ability to quit school or whatever, you know, what they said when no one was looking is that they wanted more time with their parents and they are going to push you away. And like you said, rant and rail and say, I can stay out as long as I like. But the point is that um, it, there is a meaning to knowing that someone is watching and And it doesn't mean that you can't say now you're old enough to stay out till 1130 or 12 or one or whatever it is, but that somebody is there. um, That cares about that. That cares about you. And that's watching. Create a home that they feel like they are a part of and they belong in because teenagers, as you know, are wired to, to find the need of belonging. Yeah. That, that their brain is wired that way. Yeah. And, and, you know, I always tell parents, don't, don't take offense. They want to be with their friends. It doesn't mean they don't want to be with you. That's right. And, um, and, and the ugly truth is if they don't feel like they belong at home, they will of course go find a place to belong yeah. and it may not be a very good place. Yeah. Someone is raising your children every right. minute. And if it's not you, Right. You might not like the outcome, you know, but someone is going to do it. You can't just not do it. And I liken it to the way infants and toddlers do that, you know, the little bit of separating, you know, like that a baby kind of when they can walk, they grab onto your knee when you're sitting there and then they move a few steps away. They play with a toy and then they run back and grab your knee again. And then they pretty soon can go to the other side of the room and they can play for 30 seconds, 60 seconds, and they're watching to see if you're looking at them, and then they come running back. And of course, this gets, you know, longer and longer, but it is absolutely true of teenagers and even young adults that they move away from home and they go to university and then holy cow, you know, they're like the the coming, the idea of coming back and having dad make breakfast for you and, and having somebody say, well, what do you mean you're going out? It's 11 o'clock. Like, when are you going to be home? Like that, there's so much pleasure, like grounding pleasure in that, even for, for young adults, you know, that somebody again is, you've had this period of time where you can do whatever you want. Nobody's watching out for you. And then oh, you come back. Uh, I mean, we just, we just spent all the four months of lockdown with uh, two young adults um, and it's, it's not easy for anybody. I mean, the circumstances were a little different, eh? That we were all kind of stuck together in the house and there's not the usual ways of blowing off steam or being with other people or whatever. But, um, but it was a wonderful chance to um, be with them together again. You know, uh, it was lovely. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the wonderful benefits I hope many families experienced in our lockdown. Um, but, you know, I think that's why it's also so important that in blended families, the whole um, parenting structure 
becomes understood, you know, who's going to do what, how are we going to do this? How are we going to work it? I mean, to be intentional, you know, I have a dear friend who's also a parenting coach, Wendy Olog, and she posted something recently that said, um, God forbid is not a parenting strategy. I, I like loved it because that's great. My parents are like, God forbid that should happen. You know, it's yeah. not apparent. You have to be proactive. Yeah, you do. And you have to be, I don't want to say you have to be more proactive in a blended family, but it's a different scenario. And you really have to be intentional with what's going on so that those kids don't feel totally lost and disconnected. And like, nobody cares. I've got yeah. all these parents and no one cares about me. Yeah. You know, yeah. and no one's willing to step uh, up the plate. It's hard to say, well, if I'm not, if I'm not a mom, then who am I? And I think there are lots of things that you can be. Uh, you know, we all have, we all have women in our lives who have been instrumental in some way, you know, your best friend's mom, who you spent so many hours at their house and you, maybe had some aunts, uh, you know, or older cousins who were that kind of, you know, I, I had one who was like the babysitter, you know, cause she was nine years older than me. And so she was a figure. Um, you have, you have teachers, you have coaches, you have mentors and you can feel like, just like what you were saying a minute ago about having so much relief to take away the responsibility of controlling what you can't control there's a lot of relief in saying, take off the mom hat. You don't have to wear that. And the women in my group just go, oh, it's like the weight of the world was lifted off. It changes everything. When you can be that special beloved person um, without trying to be a mom. And the, I think the thing that you're talking about in terms of being intentional is that uh, you know, like saying, God forbid, you can't just sort of expect that this is going to just work out. You have to be having regular talks about this. You have to build it into your schedule. You have to be discussing the things that are happening. And, you know, there has to be like a, I don't know, date night, you can call it whatever you like. Also, I think just for them to be intentionally nourishing your relationship, because life happens and um, kids can suck up all the all the time and the attention and right. you you have to nourish your relationship but you have to talk about things and say you know how are we gonna how did that work last week what what was good what didn't work right. how did you feel about that and uh, what are yeah. we gonna try this week you know you have to we you have to do to. those things right you have to and and what happens is when you do these weekly family meetings they also don't become so overwhelming. Like you right. get adjusted to bringing up a topic and discussing it, discussing it and, and brainstorming a solution. Well, and that's, I love that brainstorming a solution. I mean, yeah. that's a different, what you're talking about now is also, I think, essential, especially, especially where there are two families of yeah, kids coming together. But a lot. That's why you had such a good success because that's so respectful everybody feels seen and heard and when you're brainstorming solutions instead of imposing solutions then every participant feels um, ownership of what's happening and that's the main way that I recommend for 
people to make uh, to make the rules in the house that that the kids have to be involved and you can lead them through a process of saying, you know, well, bedtime, like how many hours of sleep does a kid need? Let's research it, go on the internet and find right. out, you know, and what time do you want to wake up in the morning? Well, now let's do some math, you know, when do you have to go to sleep? And so when do we have to start getting ready for bed? And is that, you know, do you think that's right? Is that going to work for you? And why don't we try it out for two weeks? And then we're going to talk about it again and see how it's working. You know, I always say, you know, kids are so smart and sometimes they see the world with so much more of a simple solution. Exactly. And us overthinkers, you know, exactly. they're overthinking exactly. the thing and they'll be like, well, why don't we just do this? And you'll be like, well, that's a genius idea, you know, and then put it into action. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? It doesn't work out. And you brainstorm it again the next week and go, okay, that's well, it. that didn't work out so good. Let's, you know, that's it. You, you put different. You, you, you plan in to your agenda of your meeting that we're going to look at what we did last week and two weeks ago. And Absolutely. if it's not working, then we're going to change it. But that's how you get to consensus so that everybody feels like they're participating right. and not to, um, not to always be compromising because in a compromise, it's a kind of a lose-lose. Like everybody is giving away something that felt important to them. And everybody walks away with their nose out of joint. And when you're building consensus, everybody feels that they came away with something they can live with. And, uh, and they know that they're not locked into it because if they're really unhappy, then they're going to get a chance to talk about it again. So okay. that's, um, I think that's something really critical to make these kind of families work. And it's also, it's so important, you know, like, some people say, well, we're going to call them house rules instead of, you know, instead of Tracy's rules. And then everybody will, well, they're not stupid. They know that they're Tracy's <laughs> rules, right? Like you're just putting lipstick on this problem. Exactly. Like, it, you know, they know. And um, so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's always the better, the better choice. It is. And, and, you know, and the beauty of it is, is children who normally live a life of being told how to do it, when to do it, why to do it. You know, they're being told every step of the way, this is what you're doing. Yeah. Instead, you have children who feel like people actually value what they have to say. Yeah. I, you know, instead of being like, well, nobody cares about what I have to say, which is probably how half the teenagers of the world think. Oh, 90%. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably being generous. You're right. Because Nobody does care what they have to say, yeah. you know, but when you create an environment where, hey, if you have something to say about this and it's a good point, let's do it. And then inadvertently, you're also teaching them how to deal with disappointment, yeah. how to deal with a mistake. If a mistake doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. You replant yeah. it. You yeah. find a new route. You find a yeah. new path yeah. to reach the goal that you're trying to reach. Yeah. And through all that, you're really teaching that to your kids. And they're seeing that overall, something that normally has a bad um, stigma about it yeah. can work. Yeah. Well, and of course, it's also like we're not talking Lord of the Flies where the kids right. are making the rules, right? Like you're being smart. You're offering, you're, you're offering a range of choices that are all within the realm of reasonable 
you're not presenting staying up all night as one of the options right. and saying, let's try that. It was, you know, you're guiding them to find out why this is important. Like they're going to have to, you know, do a little research or ask what time their friends go to sleep or take a poll in your classroom or, you know, you're not just presenting it as a, like, because I said, so it's eight o'clock, you know, or, or like it, it sort of doesn't matter. You're, you're guiding them the, in the same way that when you, you know, when you ask them what they want for dinner, there's probably a couple of choices and it's not macaroni and cheese on the menu every single night. Right. Um, so like you are, you're, um, helping them to build autonomy at the same time as not letting them run across the road because exactly. you, you actually do know what's good for them. And you, you make a balance between, um, between what's, you know, what's the parents desire and what the kids, the kids need to feel some sense of control in their life. Right. They really do. And, 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 you know, that giving them back a little control is what makes them more cooperative. Exactly. Times that they don't have control. Exactly. And, and I've heard, yeah. I've heard people say that when you, when you invite children to, um, to design the consequences for a rule that gets broken, they will inevitably choose something that is way harsher than what you would have imposed. I, I have one of my clients has a five-year-old who talked back. And we were talking about, you know, talking back. And I said, sit down at the next family meeting. I want you to talk to him about it and, and discuss what the difference is about standing up for yourself and saying what you want to say and talking back. Basically, the difference is respect. Yeah. You, we want our children to grow up to be able to question authority and right. speak their mind, but you don't do it in a disrespectful way. And that's what talking back is. So I said, you know, talk to him about it and then let him think of something that if he forgot and he talked back in a way that wasn't respectful, what was be, be his consequence? Well, his consequence, he decided was a timeout for like 20 minutes, yeah. which was a whole lot longer than she would have ever done. Yeah. But she decided that she would let him do that. And the next time he went to talk back because he knew what the consequence was because he put it into action. Right. He started to talk that way. He stopped and he spoke yeah. in a much more respectful See? way. It's, it's amazing. It's to, like you said, it's so much easier than we, than we think we make it harder <laughs> than it has to be. The kids are, they know okay. already, you know, when I, somebody else said, I can't even remember where I read it, but they said, the kids don't actually need to be um, punished in the sense of, they know already that it's wrong. They, they don't need to, like the punishment isn't teaching them that it's wrong. And right. I've had someone in my in my group wrote in about um, like what, what kind of punishment can I give this child who's, you know, continues to disobey this rule. And we've tried taking the phone away and we've tried, you know, grounding her and we've tried having no dessert after, you know, she was like looking for the, like the magic punishment that was going to teach this lesson. Well, but she knows that lesson. She knows that she's not supposed to do it. So what are you trying to do here, actually? Like what kind of outcome? What, what she wants is a, a kind of attention. And you have to figure out what's behind this 
like you're the adult you have to figure right. out this story it's she's not looking for you to figure out if, like if you cut her hand off if she won't ever do that thing anymore like that's not you were not looking for the severity of the punishment to somehow right. um you know dissolve their desire to do this bad behavior if anything they just it pushes them to get better and better at not getting caught right and that's that's the opposite of of what you're really looking for right the consequence you know i always tell people the consequence is meant to teach it is meant to teach to make better choices we all have choices in life and whatever that choice is whether you're a grown-up or your kid will result in something good or bad and our consequences that we work and create for our children and our situations is to make us all think before we react and decide, is this a good choice or not such a great choice? You and know? if it's not working, if it's not working, you have to step back and stop doing the thing that's not working right. and expect a different outcome the next right. time. That, that, that definition of insanity. Yeah. Exactly. Well, listen, Tracy, it's just been great. And I imagine you and I could probably speak for two more hours on. together because we're so in tune with each other. And um, I really hope our listeners got a lot of value from this. I know they did. And um, but I would love them to know how, you know, they know how to reach me. How can they reach you? Um, they can reach me by email at info at essentialstepmom.com. Um, I also have a podcast called Essential Stepmom. And uh, I will leave you with a link. For your listeners, if they're interested, I have a little, uh, a little downloadable guide called Three Secrets of Successful Stepmoms. And I will put that link for those of you listening. If you go into the description of the podcast, I will put the links of how you can reach out to Tracy and how you can get her um, wonderful freebie, which I advise you all to jump on and get because it's, it's important stuff, guys. And and blended families are not easy. There's nothing easy about them, but everything that is totally worth it mm. comes hard and requires a little hard work. And I can tell you as a mom and stepmom, a stepmom a mom of 24 years, uh, I, I wouldn't trade that family for anything. Me too. Know? Me too. It's been a blessing and uh, I love those kids. I love my grandkids and you know, it, it wasn't easy all the time. It took work, but it was a thousand percent worth it. And I bet Tracy, you'd agree. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and you need to, to seek the help that you need to make it work. There's nothing instinctive about this. You can't sit back and just expect that your own inclination is going to push you in the right direction because it, it just won't, but it's, it's all doable and there's lots and lots of help out there now. And I encourage people to, to look for, you know, the, the voice of someone that they, that they resonate with to help them, to help guide them through it. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no shame in reaching out for help. And in fact, I believe someone that does reach out for help is a stronger, wiser person. And you should be proud of yourself that you're willing to grow and to learn more because ultimately it will make everyone in your family better, not just you. I agree. So definitely reach out. 
Well, Tracy, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you. Pleasure speaking with you and listeners. I'm so glad you joined us as well. I hope you have a wonderful day. Guys, head over to Amazon. My book is there. Uh, it is raising happy toddlers, how to be, how, sorry, how to build great parenting skills and stop yelling at your kids. You know, I'm on a mission to stop a million of you from yelling at your kids. So let's stop that nonsense. And uh, let's really enjoy our, our life with all, everyone and our kids and however many kids and your family dynamic is. I hope you have a wonderful day and I wish you days filled with peace, love and tons of laughter. It really is the best medicine. And I'll see you here next time on the next episode of Pumped Up Parenting. Thank you, Tracy. Bye-bye everyone. Thank you for listening to the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast. Be sure to head over to pumpedupparenting.com to grab your free copy of the Patient's Playbook. Wishing there was a manual for your toddler? Well, good news, now there is. You can pick up your copy of Raising Happy Toddlers, How to Build Great Parenting Skills and Stop Yelling at Your Kids, my newest release on Amazon today. Tune in next time for more tips, advice, and strategies as you continue to pump up your parenting and create childhoods that everyone can blossom from. Have yourself a really fun day. Bye-bye.